Our God provides for every season. Our God provides for reasons we don't know, in ways we don't understand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, we, this, this, of course, says week three. Uh, because of Mother's Day, we didn't have week two yet, but trust me, it'll, it'll flow without it. Um, Pastor Darren and Pastor Bill send their greetings. Um, at the end of the service, we'll have a video update so y'all can see some of the fun they've been getting into. We'll, we'll call it fun. <laughs> no, they're having a blast. They're getting to minister to uh, both ministers and, and congregants alike down there. They're having a lot of fun. Um, they seem to think it's hot for some reason. I, you know, I don't know. I told them the weather, weather's lovely here. Um, they didn't seem to appreciate that very much. But uh, they were uh, kind enough to ask me to, to fill in for them while, that, while they're away. So, surprise. <laughs> this morning. Um, so we are going to be primarily in the 78th Psalm, if you didn't pick up notes out front. So that will be where we're going to primarily be. But before we get there, I wanted to read Psalm 73, because it's another psalm by Asaph, and we'll get into who Asaph is here in a minute. But I felt like it, it spoke to something real, especially when we think about who we are as the current generation of the church in regards to our next generation, and maybe you've felt some of these same feelings that Asaph has felt. So starting there in Psalm 73, I'm reading out of the CSB, and our scriptures up today will be primarily out of the CSB as well. God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went awry. For I, the arrogant, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die. You know, their bodies always are fed and they are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace. And violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from their fatness. Ooh, I struck a little too close to home. Their imaginations of their hearts run wild. They mock and speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven. Their tongues strut across the earth. He said that before the invention of social media, y'all. How much more true is that in our day and age? Their tongues strut across the earth. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Send. And no one knows who I am. <laughs> All right. Therefore, his people turn to them. They drink in their overflowing words. And the wicked say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Hmm. Look at them, the wicked. They're always at ease. They're constantly increasing their wealth. And then Asaph takes, he starts to, he starts to question his reality. He says, did I purify my heart? Did I wash my hands 
in innocence for nothing? For I'm afflicted all day long. I'm punished every morning. And so on and so on. I'm not gonna, he, he gets a little melancholy there for a minute. And then he keeps going, he going, and then he hits on it. Then he hits on it, but this is when it gets good. Yet, I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me up into glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on this earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord my refuge. So I can tell about all you do. Praise God. He's looking beyond. He finally, he sat there for a minute. And he got all sad and mopey. And forgive me, camera, because I'm going to do this for a second. Yeah. I woke up this morning. My left foot hurt. I stubbed my toe with my right. Yeah, it's sad. Man, you know, I don't have a, you know, we're still driving the first car Amanda ever got. Wouldn't be nice to have a nice new car. But guess what? Woo! Guess what? Guess what? This all shall pass. This all will move away. Guess what will remain? The redeemed in Christ will remain. We get to watch this world implode on itself. We don't have to worry about it, y'all. Stop being worried about what's on the news. Hear me, church. All right, who's Asaph? Get back in, let's get back into what we're supposed to be this morning. All right. So, like I said, our primary scripture this morning is going to be out of Psalms 78. And in that, it's called the Maskell of Asaph. Okay, what does Maskell mean? It means a teaching psalm. So quite literally, we're about to embark on a Sunday school lesson. Thank you, iKids teachers. Thank you, youth teachers. Thank you, Pastor Bill and Pastor Darren. We're going to have a Sunday school lesson this morning. All right, so Asaph, who is he? All right, we're going to go to 1 Chronicles 16.4 to figure out who this guy is that's about to teach us this Sunday school lesson. Because I don't know if y'all know this or not, but who you are, what your character is, matters when you're going to teach somebody something. It matters who you are before you speak. It matters who you are before you write. It matters who you are on the internet. It matters who you are on the phone. It matters who you are as you drive down the street. So let's find out who Asaph is. David appointed some of the Levites to be ministers before the Ark of the Lord. The Ark of the Lord, containing the remnants 
and the scrolls pertaining to the law and the Ten Commandments. Why are they remnants? Because when Jesus brought the law that everybody wanted from God down from the mountain, what Moses, excuse me, when Moses brought down the law, what did he find? The world in full bore. Idol worship, debauchery, drunkenness, lewdness, everything under the, and what, he got mad in his flesh. Now, was it righteous indignation? We could argue that. But anyway, so the ark of the Lord carries the law. <clears throat> now, those that go before the, 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 the ark of the covenant or the law, what do they do? They give thanks and they, praise, they pray, give praise to him. Asaph was the chief, and Zechariah was the second and, uh, and, uh, to him. And then Jalel and so on and so forth. I'm not going to get into all these fun names to pronounce. I have enough, enough time with my own son's name. So, <laughs> so, and all these played different instruments. And while Asaph sounded the cymbals and the priest Beshna and blew trumpets, and they regularly were before the Ark of the Covenant. So Asaph was another musician. Just like David would be, and so on and so forth. He was one of these that's going, he's playing the cymbals. He's a percussionist. And he's keeping that rhythm. He's keeping that clang going. He's saying, here comes the word of the Lord. Here comes the ark of our covenant. Woo! But look at all the fancy stuff those people got. He sees it. He's following arguably what was the most, he, he leads out or follows depending on how the procession worked out. But he's clanging the symbol, telling the world, here is the word of the God of Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. He's, but, but he's seeing the world. We see the world. We see what they have. Sometimes we see what we might want that they have or think we do. But that's not the point of today. The point of today lies in Nehemiah 7. Now, why did I jump all of a sudden to Nehemiah? Because in Nehemiah 7, 7, it gives us a look at the people exiting Babylon. Now, I just made a giant leap in history. 500 years to be exact, or roughly. We can't be exact, exact, but... According to scripture, we just jumped 500 years. Why did I jump 500 years? Because when we get the list of people leaving Babylon who have been slaves after Israel was conquered, we get the list of the people going back home to Jerusalem. And in that list, in 744, we get this interesting fact. That the singers included Asaph's descendants numbering 148. One cymbal player ended up with 148 descendants that would sing praise as they exited exile in Babylon. 148 servants, and let's be real, because of the way the Old Testament's written, those are 148 men, that is not counting their families. 
That's just the 148 men who have a position of honor as singers before the Ark of the Covenant as it returns back to its rightful place, as it leaves exile in Babylon, as prophecy is fulfilled and the people are restored to their home. But guess what? Those 148 men are singing, glory be to Yahweh, glory be to God who brought us out of out of slavery. They are leaving the wealthiest place on the face of the earth because that's what Babylon was then. You know those lists they teach you in school about the wonders of the ancient world? The gardens of Babylon are on there. They're leaving that place of decadence and returning to their hometown. Their freedom is worth praising Our freedom is worth giving glory to God. Our freedom matters, y'all. It matters a lot. Because our freedom is not simply one of, of, that requires patriotism as, oh, I'm a free, I'm an American. Our freedom is an eternal freedom from the bondage of death. Woo! Glory be to the king. But what does all this have to do with what we're here to talk about? Because we're not here to talk about our freedom, or are we? We're here to talk about our next generation. All right, let's let's dive in here to this teaching song. Because Asaph, uh, I think he wrote this song for his kids and his grandkids and his great-grandchildren and those 148 men that would sing glory to God. My people, hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known that our ancestors have passed down to us. I will declare wise sayings and I will speak mysteries from the past. Those of you that pay attention to the school systems in the United States and across the world may have noticed we've stopped doing something. We stopped teaching history. At least the way those of us that, some of us that were raised in the U.S. used to know it. Not in the same form. But in the midst of these psalms, in the midst of these songs giving glory to God, this teaching psalm arised, and he says, listen here, I'm going to give you some wisdom. That wisdom is going to come from our past. That wisdom is going to come from us understanding what God has done before. Young people that are in in here, youth, most of you, I think, are sitting over here, youth, Y'all know I, I, yeah, exactly. That's right, that's right. We all are, we are all young, that's right. But especially you young people, look to your parents, look to your grandparents, look to the other elders in the church. Find out the mysteries of their past. Ask them, what has God done in your life? 
Seek and you will find wisdom. The Bible tells us that repeatedly. Ask and you shall receive. And he's referring to speaking to himself, but that fountain of information, that fountain of spiritual wisdom can be accessed through our spiritual elders as well as scripture and through prayer. So our first point I'd like to make is our next generation is our obligation, and it is our obligation to pass on our faith. Now, those of you who are a little older in the faith, a little more mature, so I'm not talking to you, Matt, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but those of, those of you that, that are leading out, that have children, that have young people within your life, that have grandchildren and children, and teaching youth and teaching children and iKids, Pass on your faith. I didn't say just pass on your knowledge. I didn't say just pass on your favorite nursery rhyme. Pass on your faith. That is your obligation, according to these verses. All right, let's continue on. Now, in Psalm 78, verse 4, we pick up. We will not hide them from their children, but we will tell the future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might, his wondrous works that he has performed. Ooh, yeah. I like his history. His history is more fun than our history. And I love our history. So why do we do this? Because some people, would, some, some of these new age philosophies and some, and I've even encountered this in my studies in, in college, there's even believers that think, eh, I'm not going to influence what my kids think about God. I'm going to let them go out and discover the truth of his, you know, what they can find and who they, what they can stumble upon. Seems like a good idea, right? Now let's let, let's let them go out and find the truth for themselves. My youth will, <laughs> will tell you that here lately we've been discussing the very concept of truth. Why, why does biblical truth matter more than my truth? Because that's the world we live in, that we have to question, we have to quantify the value of various truths. That's one of the reasons why we shouldn't do that. But let's rephrase that for a second. So we don't want to influence what our kids know about God, Maybe. That seems like a bad idea to me, but okay. Well, you know, how about this? Um, anybody like to just let their kids go free-for-all in the kitchen every morning? I get, they'll find what they want to eat. Now, let's just, let's just let them go. They'll, they'll, eat, they'll find something healthy eventually, right? Yeah, let's, let's let them make their own eating habits. That seems like a good idea. I don't know if y'all have met Obadiah or not, my son. My refrigerator door would never be closed, for one. He would have everything open. There would be such a mess. Now, to his credit, he would start with the pepperonis and the bologna and the beef sticks. But when they ran out, when they ran out, he's going straight for the candy drawer that we're relocating post-haste. Um, but we, <laughs> and then after that, the chip cabinet would be torn open. There would be no, there would be no barrier that would hold him from getting to the crunchiness. So if we send our kids out to look for God on their own, guess what they're going to find? Spaghetti monsters.
Don't believe me? Pull up YouTube and just dive in the hole. Don't believe me? For, a, for an exercise, type in what or why is God? It's terrifying, the answers you will find. It's terrifying. But where do our kids go to find out how to do everything? YouTube. YouTube. How do you fix anything in the world? How do we program anything in the world? How do we get mom and dad's TV to work? How do we do anything? Of course, they do it instinctually anymore for half the technology stuff. But let's be real. We all go to YouTube to find out how to do things. That's where they'll find their God, y'all. Let's continue in the word. So Asaph says in verse 5 and 6, he established a testimony in Jacob. He set a law up in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach to their children, so that future generations, children yet to be born, might know. In 7 he goes, they were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. So if we teach our children God's deeds, what are they gonna do? Ooh. If we teach our history and we teach the law and we teach the truth of scripture and we teach them our faith, well, they're gonna grow up knowing I can place my confidence in him. I can trust him because he, there's value there. There's continuity there. Our youth group has been studying what it, why the Bible right now. Why the Bible? Why does, it, why does it matter? And we right now are focusing on the grand narrative because what the grand narrative is <laughs> it's the story of the world's greatest protagonist, our God, the God, the creator of the universe who was the exact same the day he said, let there be, as when the earthly portion of him said, it is finished. That was the same God. It's the same God that will always be, and that's why the Bible, that's why all 66 books matter. Because it's continuity. It's a place where we can find our confidence because God never changed. The side characters changed. The centuries rolled over. The 500 years passed for Aesop's family. And instead of one cymbal player, it was 148 singers. The declaration of a cymbal is a clang. The declaration of a chorus is glorification. Hallelujah. Praise be to Yahweh. Glory to the creator of the universe. Their confidence grew beyond the clang of a cymbal. God is good. God is good. So what else does he tell us to do there in verse eight? Then they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn, rebellious generation, a generation whose hearts were not loyal, whose spirit was not faithful to God. 
Now, he's going to get into a story for the, for the next few verses where he talks about some of those ancestors who made a grievous mistake in forgetting their own past. If you follow the book of the, the people of Israel throughout the Old Testament, <laughs> they're just like us who forget on a daily who God is. Those of us that, that get, start to worry, I don't know how I'm going to get all this done. I'm not, how am I going to pay for that? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? Where's the provision going to come from? We forget who God is. We forget that he taught us who he was. We forget the lessons of our childhood. We forget the ministry of the word of God. But, he, but let's get into that for a second. So the Ephraimite archers turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and they refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wondrous works that he had shown them. Our country's forgetting a truth, y'all. The church is forgetting a truth. Go ahead and put up that next slide for me, Mackenzie. If we don't teach God's deeds, our tribe will crumble. If we don't teach the word of God, if we don't teach our faith to our children, the Clark tribe will falter. If the church stops teaching the word of God, it'll falter. It'll crumble. So they did three things wrong in those verses 9 through 11. First, the battle came and they shrunk back. Secondly, they didn't live morally. And third, they forgot what God had done. We could rearrange that a little bit and put three first because let's face it, if they remembered what God was capable of. Sure, I'd have shown up with my bow, but I'd have just been like, God, you got this, right? <laughs> and then I'd have been obedient to what he told me to do. If I need to loose an arrow, I'll loose an arrow. But if I don't, I'll stand there and sing. Let's do it. Let's do an opera number, y'all. Na 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 boo boo, God's gonna get you. <laughs> like, let's face it. By faith, see, the army's conquered. The enemy will fail. We sang that this morning, church. Do we believe it? Whew. All right, now, verse 12. Because what he's gonna do now, he's gonna be like, okay, well, so this is how the Ephraimites failed. They forgot their history. Here's some of that history. He worked wonders in the sight of their ancestors in the land of Egypt, in the territory of Zoan. He split the sea and brought them back across. The water stood firm like walls. He led them with a cloud by day and a fiery light through the night. He split rocks in the wilderness. He gave them drink as abundant as the depths. He brought streams out of a stone and made water flow down like rivers. He rained meat on them like dust, weaned birds, like the sand of the seas. 
Let's skip down a couple verses. Yet despite all this, they kept on sinning. They did not believe his wondrous works. If you don't believe it, it's easy to shrink back. It's easy to get overwhelmed. It's easy to falter. If you don't believe the word of God, if you don't believe that God's done what he's done, then why should I pray? If the Bible truth is not your truth, youth, if the truth of scripture and the history of our people and our ancestry is not your truth, man, I sure would like a fancy car. I'd like a fancy car so much that, here you go, I'll be your slave. I want a big house. I want a big house so much. Here you go. I'll be your slave. That's a shiny necklace. That's a really nice gold watch. I'll be your slave. Now, having nice things is not what I'm preaching against. God blesses. His people will always have more than enough. The Bible says he will give us the desires of our heart. However, you desire that fancy car and that house more than you desire to be in the will of God? Let's continue on in Psalm 78, 36 through 39. But they deceived them with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their hearts were insincere toward him. And they were unfaithful to his covenant. Yet, He was compassionate. He atoned for their iniquity, and he did not destroy them. He often turned his anger aside and did not unleash his wrath. He remembered that they were only flesh, a wind that passes and does not return. A just God chose not to punish a people. A daddy chose not to properly and justifiably remove that seed from the face of the earth. Repeatedly. He showed grace, He showed mercy, He showed tolerance. And yet, how many times do we hear people say, God's not a tolerant God? They don't know our history. When your teenager or your young person hears that in school and they come home and they throw that in your face, well, God's not tolerant. He allows all these things to happen. Rebuke it. Then and there. There is no evil in God. There is no darkness in God. None. How do I know that? I got 66 books and 33 years of my life to prove it. If you're innocent, I'm sorry for wasting your time. I'm not. And he's had to show a lot of mercy. A lot. Psalm 78, 41. They constantly tested God and provoked 
the Holy One of Israel. In verse 42, they did not remember his power shown on the day he redeemed them from the foe when he performed his miraculous signs in Egypt and his wonders in the territory of Zoan. You know, I love that phrasing because it only takes a mild edit. And I'm not trying to add anything to scripture, but Asaph just didn't know, didn't know yet. <laughs> Let's just do a mild edit real quick. They did not remember his power shown on the day he redeemed them from the foe when he performed his miraculous signs by raising his son from the death and conquering death and sin forever. Because that's the inheritance, that's the story as we would tell it now in our Sunday schools. Now the, 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 the miraculous things he did in Egypt and in Zoan all matter. They all matter. When we forget what God has done, we start living by sight and not by faith. I don't know if y'all know this or not, and she'll forgive me later, but my wife's glasses, one side looks like a Coke bottle on the bottom. If she took those glasses off, I start looking like Brad Pitt. It's great. Anyway, <laughs> but if we live by sight, we live through distorted vision. We live through a vision that's impaired. It's finite. It's got limits on it. But if we put on those shades of salvation, of history, of truth, of victory, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are sought. And I won't torture y'all anymore, but come on. Mine eyes have seen the glory. Praise God. Whew. Psalm 78, verse 67. And I skipped a good portion because what Asaph does there is he continues to teach a very valuable and a very lengthy history lesson. One which my, my pastors would, would probably get after me if I stood here and taught the all of it and got into all the fun detail. I was told to keep it short this morning, so I'm trying to behave myself. I've been accused multiple times this morning of being long-winded. So... He rejected the tent of Joseph, and he did not choose from the tribe of Ephraim. He chose instead from the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. He built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth, to establish forever. Then it continues on. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. He brought him from tending ewes and to be the shepherd over his people, Jacob over Israel, over his inheritance. He shepherded them with a pure heart and guided them with his skillful hands. Do y'all know why he chose Judah? The Bible tells us. 
because they turned back to him. One tribe out of 12. They turned back to him. Families, church, youth, everyone turned back to him. So we're going to go back to Psalm 78.4 for a second. We will not hide them from our children, but we will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might and his wondrous works that he has performed. We will. We are. We are going to. Our next generation, our youth, are becoming equipped to be the generation that leads this church on. That's right, guys. You are. Because when the Wonder Twins, Matthew and Luke, were sitting on the couch on Wednesday night, they kept pounding their fists together every time they'd get an idea or a concept right. That's why I call them the Wonder Twins. I was waiting for one of them to turn into a monkey and the other one a tiger. (laughs) Sorry for the dated pop culture reference, but... But it was great because you saw it. You saw the excitement between two brothers sharing an inheritance of understanding who the father was. Because all we were talking about were describing God. We were looking at the characteristics of our protagonist of the grand narrative. And if you go in the youth room right now and look at our dry erase board, you'll probably see a bunch of words on there under a heading of God. And all it was is we were walking through the first few chapters of Genesis, well, what does that tell us about God? Well, what does that tell us about God? Well, how do we know that, what, what, what characteristics of God does that reveal to us? And I'll tell you what, I saw, was there six, six of us in there, youth-wise? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, maybe seven. I saw seven young people, and by young people, it's under the age of 20. We'll be nice for a minute. Um, getting excited about the fact that they were getting to identify why the Bible was important. Now, they may have just been putting on a show for me, but I don't think so. There was a genuine joy there because there was a connection between a thousands-of-year-old text and the reality of today. Because Caleb and I and Stephen weren't just sharing a dusty old book with a classroom of kids. We were sharing our faith. And I told this youth, we can't teach y'all anything. All we can do is be there and tell you what we've experienced and tell you what the Bible says and tell you how our God is a wondrous God, a miraculous God, a just God, an honest God, firm but fair God. So church, let's get on our feet this morning. Let's get on our feet this morning and let's accept the responsibility. Accept the responsibility to always find a younger generation to impart the wondrous works of God to. If you're five, but you believe and know God is your savior, tell somebody younger. Tell the next generation. 
If you're 99 and you've been living with the Lord for two days or 50 years, tell the generations what you've seen. Because there's no greater wonder in this world than to acknowledge the Creator. I'm reminded of a text that was shared by, by one of our late apologists where he said there was these two boys walked up to this water fountain. One of them looked at the water fountain and said, that's pretty. The other boy walked up and said, it's glorious. He said, you know what the difference was? One child was looking at it with human eyes. The other child was acknowledging the creator. Everything is prettier. Everything is wondrous when it's looked through glasses of salvation. God is so great. God is so glorious. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lesson we've had from Asaph today. The lesson that brought his 148 descendants to sing glories to your name. Lord, we pray that that family has continued in that transition and tradition, and there have been millions of descendants of Asaph singing, Glory be to the King. Lord, we stand here as descendants of yours, as sons and daughters called by your name, knowing that we are victorious. Lord, we accept the obligation of passing on our faith Lord, we accept the responsibility of sharing our histories and all of their mysteries. Hallelujah, Lord, we give you the glory for the wisdom that comes only through your word, from the strength that is found in your spirit, from the victory in our lives that we have not yet seen and the victories we are seeing on the daily. Lord, we thank you for the healings of families, we thank you for the restorations of minds, the unification of body, mind, and spirit in every believer across this land that they may boldly stand up and say, I am a child of the King. Lord, though this world may fall away, we know we will stand with you for all eternity in the glory of your presence. Our eyes will see the glory of the King. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. We thank you. And all God's people said, amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Here in a moment, we're going to actually see a video from our mission team there.